bow your heads and pray with me once more? God, in the beginning, you created us, you saw us, you formed us, and you made us in your image. And Lord, not one mistake, not one mistake in your purposes, you designed us, you designed our lives in your image. And with the fall, we come to a place now, Lord, where work is toilsome. Our lives become a struggle, and we feel sometimes like it's a vanity. Help us, Lord, to redeem work and to rediscover a place where it all makes sense and that it is purposeful. And in the end, Lord, we know that the fire will reveal, it will show what we have truly invested in. We pray, Lord, that the fire would show our works to be good. That it would not have been built, our works not built, on just gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. But that the work will reveal that we have been faithful, that we have been just, that we have shown mercy and loved kindness. So, Lord, come, Jesus, for yet another week. We don't pray for next month or next year. We pray for today. We pray for this week. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, empower us to live once again faithfully tomorrow morning as we start that road, that Emmaus road once again. Teach us, Lord, disciple us, and do your mission in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that was a biblical a little scripture meditation that we had this morning, and it was compiled around the theme of faith and work. And today is the last Sunday where we will be talking about faith and work. Uh, somebody shared with me recently that this series feels like it's been going on forever. It started at the end of summer. We took a break with Advent, and now we're wrapping it up. Today is the last Sunday of the, of the uh, uh, Sanctifying Monday to Friday series, and with that also the Reframe course that we've been going through. Um, honestly, how many of you have been helped in some way by the Reframe videos? If you could just raise your hands. That it's helped you. And for those of you that have not watched it, um, let me know, because this is an access, this is a, a resource that we have as a church, and I can give you access to it. Just email me. And I can send you um, uh, the link in Google Drive to all of the videos. It's a very powerful, very important series. Because ultimately, work is not something that is a result of the fall. If I can just wrap this up. Work is not something that happened ever since we took the first bite out of that fruit and everything went south. Now we have to toil. We have to work. No. Work was something that, create, that was preexistent even before the fall. When God created the heavens and the earth, He was working. When He created man, He put us in the garden, mankind, to care, to cultivate. Work itself is not flawed. And so, for this series, we've talked about all of the different theological backgrounds. I'm not going to hash it out now about work, about the goodness of work, about the meaning of what you do Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, We've talked a lot about Sabbath and true rest because in order to understand work, we must also understand rest. And we've heard from different voices. Today, 
what I'd like to do is close out this series with a panel of three last voices um, to bring a perspective that I can't bring. For me, vocational ministry, what I do here, uh, this is my work. I prepare every week for this moment. But there are other stories that you can hear and probably relate to better. And so with that, one by one, I'm going to invite up, I'm going to invite up Sarah Ham. If Sarah, you can come over, come on up and, and the last, um, and as she makes her way, give her some love because I think she was a little nervous. And Sarah is a stay-at-home mom. She's been a stay-at-home mom for almost six years and is also a volunteer of the Human Resources Committee for a nonprofit organization that serve, serves veterans transitioning into civilian life. I didn't know that, and I think that's great. And prior to staying at home with her kids, um, Sarah's been around the block a little bit. Um, <laughs> she actually, when you were in college, I think I was in college too, around a similar time, somewhere there in Greenwich Village. No, actually, you did your... You did your I'm a little bit older than You're a little bit older than me, but that's why I was probably... Uh, at Parsons while you were at NYU studying human resources? Actually, psychology. Psychology. Yeah. Speak into the mic, please. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, psychology. Psychology. And um, so she has a degree in art history. I think that's radical. That's totally cool. <laughs> and also applied psychology um, uh, at NYU and was also a director of human resources for a nonprofit organization in San Francisco. And Sarah, um, I know your husband is doing his residency downtown, um, and we're all going to try to root for you and convince him and you guys to stay here in Houston. Um, really, really hope you guys do. Next up, I'm going to invite Bo. If you can make your way, come on up, Bo. This middle seat is for you over here. Bo's a big guy, and he's like, I don't need a stool. I'm just going to stand. I'm going to say, Bo, just sit down, because if you're standing here in the middle the whole time, it's going to look awkward. Um, <laughs> Bo, I know I asked you to give us the perspective um, as an engineer. Wow. <laughs> and there's the reason why, probably. It's all muscle. It's all muscle. And Bo, um, I'd, I've asked you to give us a perspective from the oil and gas industry. I know Paul shared that uh, last Sunday from the business side, but also as an engineer. But I'd also like you to give us some more perspective on what it means to be a Christian at work um, as a single young adult but also what it was like for the sake of our younger people here. And I know you've got this really great connection with our, with our youth in this church. What does it mean to be a Christian? If you can give us the perspective. I know I didn't prepare you on this, and I'm going to throw a loop. That's fine. Give us a, what, the, what must it feel like to be a Christian um, as a student in school? And how can I be a Christian with all of the peer pressure and the things that happen, whether it's high school or college um, and you still, I think I've lost it. Um, I, I don't have that. I'm not in those shoes, and it's been too far removed. But I think you, it's not that you're, you're, you're in your 30s, but you still have that freshness and that perspective, I think, and you're able to connect with young people. Well, first of all, I'm a business guy, not an engineer. But if you think it's the same, I'm flattered, really. Um, good. And second of all, yeah, you know, I'm old. It's all good. No big deal, but yeah, ho hopefully I have a if you're perspective old, on this single. That makes me ancient. <laughs> and other people here are like dinosaurs. And last, third and last but not least, I'm going to invite up Jan to come forward. And Jan is happily married to Alan Wiederhold-Sohn. They're the diversity in our church. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, Sorry, I'm being partic particular. I'm kicking Sarah out of her seat. No, no, it's okay. No, Why? Uh, I have to. Do that? Computer. Okay, that works perfectly fine. And uh, the Wiederholt Sones have been with Woven since August of 2015. And um, I have a double, double reason um, for Jan to be here today. That's why I wanted her to sit right next to me, but that's okay. Um, not only, uh, so Jan is, Jan is an attorney and works for the law firm of Baker McKenzie. Um, and on top of that, she coordinates our woven groups here at Woven. So there's a lot of you, um, especially the core team of this church, you've you have full-time jobs, and then when I see the work you do as volunteers Sunday after Sunday, I'm blown away. Um, you, you don't get paid to do this, and, you know, the work that you're putting in, it, it really moves me. And so for all of you volunteers, and Jan also uh, coordinating our woven groups, and I wanted to transition today. So we're closing off the Reframe series, and so you're going to talk about work and being a Christian in the law industry, but at the same time, you're going to transition us and talk about the next series coming up, The Covenant Bible Experience, um, and we'll come to that at the end. So, um, all of you, make sure to hold the mics close when you speak, because this is being recorded and televised nationwide <laughs> around the world. And um, this panel, um, I'm going to start with you, Bo, and ask you, what is the nature of your work? And from a spiritual standpoint, how would you view your work? You know, the, the, the funny, is it on? It's on. It's on? All right. Okay, sorry. Sometimes I speak so loud, I can't even tell. <laughs> but um, so I thought about that question. It's funny. I'm still thinking about it even right now. I think my, I honestly don't quite know exactly what my nature of the work is in the spiritual point. Um, I feel like my job is there for people. Um, it's there because of people. So without people, without regulation, I wouldn't even have a job. So, you know, thank you for the customers and definitely for the government. Um, because truly, I would not even be there if that was the reason. So my nature of the work is just to implement and project plan everything that I need to based on, like I said, customers and government regulation. So I'm going to press here a little bit. Um, so... In the beginning, before the fall, did God make a job description that's called project management? What do you think about that? I think he was probably the best project manager. Oh, I, I don't really think, for me, I, at least in my mind, I don't think in the garden I would be, like, planning um, and building, like, cool things or naming animals or stuff like that, that God does. Uh, I don't know, actually, what I would be doing in the Garden of Eden if you were talking about my job description and the Garden. Do you see your identity in project management, or do you see this as something that you'll do until maybe 65, and then you'll get to do what you really want to do? Or do you see, or, you know, like, I'll do this Monday to Friday, but what I really want to do is on the weekends. Or Do you see something intrinsically in your identity as that? Well, um... I mean, God placed kids in my life, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, sometimes not because I wanted to hang out with kids, but I think I just have a connection with kids and love kids, you know, that, that's, um, so going back to that, with my job, it's really simple, um, job is a great blessing, don't get me wrong, it allows me to have income, which is a blessing, and then allows me to use that income either for his glory or for just hanging out with the kids or 
or whatever. Because one thing you'll notice about me is I love food, and I love sharing food with kids. So it's uh, so indirectly that's it's it's more purposeful that way. Like if I was just gonna talk about my work, I'll be honest. It's like it's like being in prison sometimes. But and I don't know what prison feels like. But I, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I know, like, my size might look like I might go to prison. But anyways, long story short, like, I think, I think the, the idea behind it is the fact that um, job allows me to do a greater purpose. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult because what we've been talking about in the Reframe series is how can we all view our work not as a prison, um, but as our ministry. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure ideally, idealistically, it's easy for me to talk about that, but that's the real challenge. How is work itself and what I do intrinsically good and intrinsically God's design? Um, now, here's the thing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the rest of our panel to chime in and interrupt. I know uh, I mistakenly, we have a Pan-Asian panel here, um, but I realized in retrospect that it's not diverse enough. Um, but the Asian thing is don't speak until you're spoken to and wait your turn. I'm going to ask you not to be Asian in that regard and just break out of that. Please interrupt. Please be rude. Please, you know, sometimes you have to swing to the opposite end of the extreme to uh, almost normalize. So um, I want you to speak in and interrupt and say, well, this is what I think. And I want to hear what you think. So any thoughts on what we've talked about? <laughs> you can't teach a, a tiger how not to have stripes. Well, um, so, you know, I, I began just, I guess, career of being a stay-at-home mom six years ago. And um, before I had my kids and became a stay-at-home mom, I had, um, you know, a decade-old career as a HR professional. And so, as most of us, that's sort of part of our identity, our careers, who, who we are, how do we make money, you know, our skill set. Um, so when I became a mom and had to stay home, I really had to abandon that whole identity. And it took me a while. For um, now, abandon it temporarily. Temporarily. Uh, temporarily. Yeah, I know woven, my husband's pushing me woven. to get a job, but <laughs> right now. <laughs> and in talking okay. about prison, you know, I really did initially felt like I was in prison. Like, Wait, at home? Yes. With the kids? Yes. Were Literally, the kids wardens or were they yes, inmates? Or? Yes. I was, my prison uniform was the same set of sweats that I wore every day. Pajamas. Yeah. Hair in a bun. Prison guards were my two children who literally did not allow me to go outside the house. Oh, yeah. um, 18-year sentence? Yeah. But the first two years, bad. literally, I, I did not go outside. I did not see the sun. Mm. The only time I was allowed to go outside was when the kids were in bed, my husband's in bed, and then I can escape. Yeah. And the biggest torture is going to Target with no money. You know, for a woman, that's the biggest torture. Huh. But I, it took me a while to get to a place now where I've had a shift in my perspective and uh, appreciation for my role as a stay-home mother. Um, and I, I really truly believe that being a mother, being a parent, is a calling. And not many, there are a lot of people who can't be a, a parent for many reasons, and some people do not choose to be a parent. That's, it's a decision. It really is a decision. 
But for me, uh, Paul and I took a very long time. It was a very difficult journey to become parents. So, but even with the gift that we were, we received, me individually, personally, as a, as a woman, it took me a while to appreciate my role as a stay-at-home mother. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that now um, I'm here to really oversee my children's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. That's my role. My children, not, they don't belong to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not mine. Wow. God has entrusted them to me for this temporary time. And whatever I do, I, I'm here to really glorify God and to please God. Uh, and that's my role as a stay-at-home mother. Uh, granted, it's not, it's not easy. It's really, really hard. Uh, and I, you know, I just admire women here who can balance career and being a mother. It's not a, and I think God knew that I couldn't deal with that. I could not deal with my life my children and be a career mother. So God literally forced me to be a stay-home mother. Mm. And it's, it's taken me a long time to appreciate that. Do you find your identity redefined now, or do you see HR as still part of your identity and how God designed you as well? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that was a big part of who I am. And, um, and I think we all go through sort of seasons of life and to really appreciate the season of life that you are in uh, and making the best of it, I think is really uh, important. Uh, I read somewhere that, um, you know, you do everything to make a good decision, but ultimately you need to do the best with the decisions you've made. Mm. And Paul and I have decided to become parents and we decided that he was going to medical school and that I was going to be a stay-at-home mother. Instead of fighting it every step of the way, to embrace it, to appreciate it, to receive it as a gift, mm. uh, and didn't you make the best of that decision? What would you say to other stay-at-home mo stay moms that are listening who wrestle and find their, themselves almost divested of their purpose in life, that they're like, I, this, is all, this is who I am, this is, this is all I am? You know, I, I, what would you say to a, a young mother that's struggling with that question, what did God make me for? Was it just to, you know, change diapers? And what would you say to that? Right. Well, um, I think going back to appreciating um, the great treasure and the gift that you have before you, which are your children. Uh, for me, you know, being a mom is probably the, the most difficult job, but also the most rewarding mm -hmm. Uh, job too, and for young moms who are struggling every day to meet the needs of their children, just know that God is with you, and he sees you struggling, and you're not alone, even though I felt many days alone, because I didn't have my mother to support me, yeah. and to, you know, give me guidance, and give me direction as a new mom, and I had to really figure it out on my own, um, but as a young mother, just it's not just about survival because I felt like it, every day was just a survival thing. Uh, as long as no one ended, ended up yeah. in the hospital, everyone got to bed yeah. <laughs> safe and sound, I'm in one piece, uh, I thought that was it. Mm. But really um, dig a little deeper into the meaning behind what you're doing right. to appreciating that. Um, um, 
then you feel like, okay, this is a little bit more meaningful. Yeah. Even changing diaper, feeding your kids, and cleaning. Yeah. yeah. See, the, sort of step back and have a little bit bigger picture about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to turn to Jan, unless anybody wants to pop in here. Um, and <laughs> this is going to be a little embarrassing, but the question I'm going to ask you, Jan, from the perspective of the law profession is, um, all work is fallen. <laughs> and as a lawyer, how is your field intrinsically fallen? Um, what are some of the seven deadly sins that really, um, in other words, I think every vocation was created by God all work is good, but all work is also tainted. And how is the law profession tainted? And the seven deadly sins, need I remind you, are pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. What is the law profession particularly prone to and even in bondage under? All of the above. <laughs> That's Maybe not so much sloth, but... There are some slothful attorneys as well. But I think for most of us, I think the biggest problem that we have is pride and anger. Mm. Uh, we take our clients' issues, our clients' uh, anger towards the opponent, and internalize that and become angry at the opposing counsel, opposing party. And just that just brews as you internalize your clients' problems. The other thing is pride because, well, as you know, attorneys are kind of big-headed uh, most of the times. Uh, I think other than perhaps doctors, we think we're like the best of the best in terms of profession, and we're absolutely not. Most of us, <laughs> if you go to law school, most of them were poli-sci majors, and they didn't have anything else to do because they don't want to go into politics, and they just naturally went into law school. So it's, <laughs> I think we need a good dose of humility in our profession. As I'm listening to you, I'm actually realizing right now how law is so intrinsically, uh, I mean, when you think of the entire Old Testament, um, when you think of the biblical foundations of ethics, um, God, I don't believe, is a God of unjust, injustice or unjustice. He's a God that weighs things in the scales, finds things wanting, and sometimes has to balance things out. Um, in some ways, there's a reconciling factor as well to law. I mean, how do you think of your job description in terms of going back to the garden? Um, since you asked the same question to Nick, I guess, Two weeks ago, I had some time to think about it, and I was thinking if Adam and Eve did not fall and we did not have all these sin in our world, we probably wouldn't need lawyers. You wouldn't need to defend pe people's wrongdoing. You wouldn't have sins. You wouldn't have a pro problem of judging people. But even in the Garden of Eden, there was two laws. You should not eat of the fruit of the um, knowledge of good and evil, and you should um, cultivate the earth and multiply and prosper. And that's so, very interesting. You already had law present. There was Pierce. law even before there was fall. So I think our profession is not out of the fall, but even before the fall, we, we were supposed to meditate on God's instructions and follow that. So let's play here a little bit. So let's say that was the only law. Uh, 
and worship in, God too. In the in the Garden of Eden, and even if there was no fall, that tree would still have been there, and people would still have been tempted to hop over the fence and try it out. So, do you think that law still or lawyers might still have had? So, I'm trying to get at this intrinsic question. Anyway, that's kind of. I, don't know um, if that's a I think going back question. to the reason why I wanted to become a lawyer is Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. I, I know we're standing in front of you, so you may not be able to see. But um, 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Write for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And that is the reason why I decided to go to law school. And that was the verse that I actually put in my law school application essays. You would think that might be kind of a oh, wow. strange move to do in a for admissions essay, but I wanted whoever wanted to accept me into law school to know that this is my purpose. Yeah, there's, uh, there's something very, yeah. So this is in the core what I want to do, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. But day in and day out, I work for my clients are big corporations who are defending patent lawsuits or asserting their patent rights. So you're thinking, how's that aligning with this core value? It could be, it couldn't be any further than what this verse is teaching me to do. Wow. So you're having a crisis. I, I, I have been having a little bit of identity crisis, and I share this in uh, our women's prayer group uh, at the beginning of the month. And about, I guess it's two weeks ago now, when the uh, immigration ban executive. executive order came out, you saw like hordes of attorneys just descending down on airports and become like the first responders for people who are just trapped wow. at the border or wow. at the airports. And I thought, I should be there, but my skill set does not align with what they need. So I had volunteered, but they told me, we don't need your kind. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to look for other opportunities to help, and it's, there are other opportunities to help, but I can't abandon my core um, job responsibilities and just go help the poor and needy, even though our firm encourages pro bono work, and I have done pro bono work, which I find to be very rewarding. It's reminding myself, even though the clients that I serve may not be destitute and needy, I am still seeking justice and trying to judge fairly and defend for those who cannot speak for themselves. Because even big corporations, when they're in lawsuits, they are overwhelmed, they don't know what to do, uh, they need guidance. And in order to be treated fairly in the justice system, they need attorneys. Um, the, you know, what we're talking about here, and I love listening to you guys because you're preaching the message for me. And it's not this neatly packaged, well, I do this for the Lord. It's I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling to figure out what the rest of my life and what significance that has with the kingdom of God. And, you know, we talk about it here on Sunday, but you live the vast majority of your life at work, and that is our ministry, and yet we struggle. How is this in any way impactful? And one of the questions is, how can I redeem the soul of my work? Church, we think, is about soul saving, 
but it's also about saving the soul of what we do, of what you do for a living, saving the soul of the law industry, of, of engineering, saving the soul of my work. How can I save the soul? And, you know, the thing is, tomorrow morning, you're tired, you're driving, and you're like, I don't even want to think about saving this, and let alone any my soul. I'm just really tired and irritable and discontent, and I'm restless. And the person in front of you is weaving like this, and you just want to... And by the time you get to work, the last thing you're thinking about is saving the soul of my work. Just, I'm just going to tick off the hundred emails I have and just push through. And we have to bring ourselves back to the stuff that we, you know, we were singing that song, uh, you know, the song with the chorus and the, the, the ladies singing in the back. We want to bring ourselves back to that place. We want to bring ourselves back to Scripture. So my question for you, the panel, all three of you, is how do you bring yourself back into the presence of God while you're in the midst and the throes of work, nine to five, or changing diapers, or following kids? How do you bring yourself back into the presence of God? And how do you maintain that Christian discipline? So, anybody? Oh, I'm a task-oriented person. I figured that out. Like, my life is really focused and structured. It, it got so bad that my ex-girlfriend knew exactly where I was at at exactly what time. So <laughs> that's what kind of person I am. But to answer your question, with that relating to, because I'm so task-oriented, I can get focused on the task at hand or my job, I have to sometimes look at my whiteboard. I have this huge whiteboard in my office, and I put goals, like spring 2017 goal, and I'll put verses. So anybody comes in, looks at it, they can see it, but I always try to look at the verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, where a guy was talking and saying, like, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, and the reason I look at that is when I'm doing these things, I have to really think, like, what's my heart? Am I, like, trying to glorify myself, try to get promotion, try to be ambitious, or am I really trying to do, you know, just the love for other people? Um, like, love for my boss, that's why I wanted to complete it our love for my coworkers that are on my team. So um, I love that verse. I mean, it just, it just refocus what I really need to do in life, not what's good for me, but what's good for whatever God placed me to do. And so I'm hearing that there are, you strategically place verses around to get your mind back into Scripture and to remember. And I'm going to open it up to the rest of the panel, but Bo, I'd like you to come back to also how we can speak to young people who are in school and studies how can they remember, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, but in the meantime, panel, how do you bring yourself back into the presence of God? Well, I think um, as a, as a stay-at-home mom, um, you know, you're just trying to just get through the moment, the situation, and, you know, whether it be getting the kids rushing through out of the house to go to, you know, take them to school and, and pick them up from school, and it's very just mundane kind of ritual right. of routine, and um, there's very little spirituality in the routine of life, especially so. with kids, because, um, you know, with kids, structure and routine are very important, um, and so I, when, I, when I do have moments of calmness and peace, you know, I, I do a lot of self-reflecting and a lot of um, just meditating 
Um, and I don't do enough of this, but I need to, I, you know, try to read the word. Um, getting me, get myself back to, you know, why am I doing these routines? Why am I doing what I'm doing every day? Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to get back to more the meaningfulness of, of my day-to-day routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and with kids, too, um, now that they're a little bit older, um, you know, instead of, like, being in the survival mo- mode, right now is more intentionality, you know, making time to intentionally talking about how they feel, what are they thinking, how do they feel about certain things, what happened at school, and intentionally having conversations about God. Mm. Uh, You know, my kids are five and a half, going on six pretty soon, and um, they're, you know, they're, they're hearing the name of God, Jesus, you know, praying before meals, but they don't really know what that all means, you know, and my, my daughter, Claire, she asked me about death, you know, like, when am I going, you know, when, when are you going to die, mommy, kind of thing, you know, like, and then she predicts when I'm going to die, and it scared me, like, don't predict when I'm going to die, <laughs> um, so, you know, those questions are going to more and more pop up, and I need to be really prepared to answer her properly yeah. and correctly. Um, so it makes me really have this urgency of I need to prepare. I need to do research. I need to read more. I need yeah. to pray more yeah. so that I can have the right answers for yeah. her. Yeah, I hear some of the applied psychology coming out here. Right? <laughs> and I realize even with my own children, the questions that they ask me, and I have a theological background, how hard it is to answer some of these questions. So I'm thinking to myself, if this is hard for me, it, it must be infinitely difficult for just parents, with or without um, any psychology or theological training. How do you talk to, stu- to kids about stuff like, you know, death or, you know, the stuff that they'll see on the Internet or, um, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. There's so much stuff, really. Um, but you mentioned something about using moments of self-reflection. What does that look like for you? What, do you use a tool or tools, or do you, do you breathe? Do you pray? Mm. Do you meditate? What, what are the tools? Or? I think I use a variety of methods, but I've just always been a very self-reflective person, mm. uh, sometimes to a fault because I analyze myself, I examine myself too much. Um, so I use a variety of methods, but I try to write. That's excellent. Uh, yes. I try to read. Do that. Um, everybody. everybody should write. And ways to facilitate this is also just be part of a prayer meeting, mm-hmm. to be part of a small group, to talk to other people. Because when you're just serving your own head, you know, you don't realize certain things. When you start talking to other people is when you can step out of yourself into. Um, gain a different perspective, a different, different uh, knowledge about certain things. So, Have you always been bent towards writing, or is that something you learned from applied psychology? I think just, you know, that's just been an easy way of, you know, putting my thoughts into the forefront of my, my brain is, mm-hmm. you know, like all this stuff is going on, and um, not that I'm hearing voices or anything, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's just I do have a lot of self-talk that goes through my head. <laughs> Like, that's just who I am. You know, there's a lot of self-talk in my brain. Um, but writing is a, a really good, easy tool yeah. that anybody can use yeah. to really think about what they're thinking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah in, my, uh, in my accountability group, there are men there that 
they're, they're, they come from professions that are very, uh, what is the non-creative side of your brain? Is it the right or the left? I always get these mixed up. The left. And they're like, write a journal? What? That's like the last thing. And yet when they do it, it's incredibly helpful. Um, I'm a firm believer whether you're, you know, the problem with right brain creative types is when we write, we, we write so that somebody will read it. We write poetry. We write all this, you know, just write what you're really feeling. Write honestly. Who cares if somebody's going to read it? The point is you're being honest, at least with somebody. And uh, I, I think that that's a very important spiritual discipline. Jan, how about you? Spiritual disciplines, practices to bring you back like Brother Lawrence. I'm in the presence of God while I'm litigating. <laughs> Um, I think Sarah mentioned that it's good to be in a group where you can share whatever, whatever struggles you're going through. I think that's great, but one of the biggest, I guess, downsides of our profession is that we can't talk about our work to other people. Uh, client confidence is the epitome of what we do. We can't talk about what the clients share with us, what, what, whatever is going on in our head, because we, once we share that, it is no longer privileged work. So uh, other than telling my husband, which will be spousal privilege, he will never be able to divulge that, I can't tell anyone. But I don't want to burden him with all the stuff that is burdening me. He doesn't get paid to be burdened with that. Burden so. him. <laughs> so Spouses I, I some, can stand to be burdened. Yeah, I, I sometimes at do. At 11.55 p.m. at night. <laughs> but I, I generally tend to be more uh, introspective and try to meditate on um, focusing back on my purpose as an attorney. And one of the special disciplines that, if you can call it that, that I have is, this is a picture of the starting page of the Psalms in Geneva Bible. It was a present that was given to me from well, my Shakespeare professor. He's not a Christian, but he knew that I was. Wow. And when I uh, was moving from Reno to uh, Dallas for law school, he gave it to me and said, uh, I think this might be good for you because the cover page has Psalms 1 and 2. And Psalm 1 is all law about law. That's right. It says, right. Bless is the man um, that doth not work, walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth me meditate day and night. For he shall be like tree planted by the rivers of water, that will bring forth her fruits in due season, whose leaf shall not fade. So whatsoever he shall do shall prosper. The wicked are not so, but as chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore, wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked shall perish. So I try to read this every time I go into work. I put it right by my light switch, so... It's the first thing I do. I turn on the light, look at it. But the downside is that the cover page of Geneva Bible is in really old script, and it's tiny, and you, can't, you can barely read it. So sometimes I'm lazy. I haven't had my coffee yet because I usually go into work and have coffee. So I'm not awake, not paying attention, and I decided I need something else to remind me what, I, what should be my purpose, which this is a good reminder when I, remind, when I remember to do it but I often don't. So over the Christmas break, my wonderful husband got me this lawyer's prayer plaque. You can, it's a lot more readable. <laughs> and it's, uh, the psalm is behind me about a yard back, 
right by the corner of the office. And I, even when I remember to do it, it's in the back of my head, rest of the day, and I'm staring at the computer screen in front of me for 99% of the day. So right next to my computer screen, I put this lawyer's prayer up. And if you know this prayer at all, it's originated from uh, Sir Thomas More. Um, if you're brought up as a Catholic, he is Saint Thomas More. He was a martyr who stood up to King Henry VIII when the, when the king was trying to make a Church of England. But Sir Thomas More said, that's not the way you should do it. So he was executed by the king. And he, before that, he was a very trusted advisor and counselor and a lawyer to King Henry, Henry VIII. And he wrote this prayer, which says, pray that for the glory of God and in the pursuit of his justice, I may be trustworthy with confidences, keen in study, accurate in analysis, correct in conclusion, able in argument, loyal to clients, honest with all, courteous to adversaries, ever attentive to conscience. Sit with me at my desk and listen with me to my client's tales. Read with me in my library and stand always beside me so that today I shall not, to win a point, lose my soul. Mm, That's good. Pray that my family may find in me what yours find in you, friendship and courage, cheerfulness and charity, diligence and duties, counsel and adversity, patience and pain. They're good servant and God's first. Amen. So this, I often, when I get really angry at, you know, whatever comes my way, usually it's a little pop-up in my inbox. I don't don't want to deal with another email. I get about 200 emails a day, but it's another thing someone's asking me to do that I don't want to do. And I look over a little bit to the left and see this prayer. And the line that strikes me the most, um, most of the days, is help me to not, uh, to win a point, not lose my soul. Yeah. And I think that's a good reminder for any attorney that you may want to win the argument, but you have to do it with integrity. And you can lose people in the process of winning as well. Um, so what I'm hearing, and I'm going to come back to you, Bo, what I'm hearing is, uh, you know, spiritual practices that bring us back in the presence of God. I'm hearing writing. Um, I'm also hearing uh, almost like a ma- mantra type of prayer, something that you repeat in your head, help me to, if I win, help me to not lose my soul. If I, help me not to lose my soul. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, I, I pray certain set prayers throughout the day just to bring me back into the presence of God. I believe very effective. But how about for a young person? What do you tell a young person who is trying to somehow be spiritual in the midst of the pressures of school? Well, first of all, I mean, I didn't grow up in the Christian church, so I wasn't a Christian until, I mean, actual Christian, I guess, in college. But, I mean, it's just like uh, sometimes we forget as adults that it's really difficult for kids. And it, life isn't easy, even though we might think, oh, you're just going to school. Like, it's pretty straightforward. But it's way more complex than that. You know, just like anybody else, we have emotions. We have uh, the way we think, the way we get influenced by other people. I would literally tell them if I had to learn anything from my childhood is that God created you in his image. And so just like adults, we all have something that we don't like about ourselves, you know, guilt, regret, or shame. Um, So I would tell them that 
yes. I mean, there's going to be a lot of times in your life as you get older, you're going to feel shame, regret, and um, guilt. But you have to understand that you are created in God's image. And through Jesus in Colossians, he give, forgives you all your sins. So when you do mess up, when you do struggle, when you do feel that regret, Keep no matter what up. happens, yes, God forgives you. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not the present, but every day for the rest of your life. And, and that's the most beautiful part about that. Because if you can lean on Jesus with your life, it's a lot easier than if you were just trying to go through yourself. Yeah, yeah. Keep coming back. Keep coming back because he don't, he doesn't fail. Yeah, doesn't and just fail. to add to that, um, you know, as as adults, as parents, um, we're going to we're the closest thing to showing God's character, yeah. God's love, grace to our children. And I grew up with parents who went to church, but I saw very little of God in 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 who they are and how they behaved and how they lived out each day. And so as a parent, uh, I think that's the biggest calling in my life is to show who God is Mm -hmm. through how I behave, how I talk to my children, how I show love to them, because I'm the closest thing right now uh, to knowing, knowing him. That's a heavy burden. It is. It is. And all of us are charged with that burden because you know, as a, as a Christian community, you know, I really do believe in, you know, that saying, it takes a village to raise children. And as a community, we all are example role models. Kids, they watch us. <laughs> it's scary, but they watch us. And they, they really do watch us. Yeah. And, you know, my, my kids point out things to me all the time. You yeah. know, like, Mommy, why are you so mean? Like, why are you yelling? You know, like, why are you this and that? Like, yeah. why are you being mean to dad you know so it's you know all these they're going to point things out to you like their kids are the most honest people in the world and they will point things out to you they're, they're like become mirrors to who you are and yeah. we're all charged with that burden but it's also a, a blessing and a great responsibility that you know we we should really remember i'm going to add to that sarah from my own personal experience one of the most godly things we can do to our children and to show godly or god is the apology, something that I know a lot of, at least Korean parents, don't do. Um, the apology goes a very long way, even to a child, and uh, saying, I'm trying to show you a better way, but I goofed up, and uh, that's something that I'm learning. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up here, land this plane, and, um, you know, we talked today about this, we talked today about how can I see my work intrinsically as good going back to the Garden of Eden? Uh, how, how is it part of God's design? How can I redeem it? How can I save the soul of my work? How can it be kingdom work? And then we talked about the spiritual disciplines bringing me back into God's presence because I'm stuck in a rut. I'm in my thing. How can I remember God? Um, I think one of the important spiritual disciplines is, an, is a knowledge and a mind, I really believe this, soaked in Scripture. Um, for me, um, I've read through the Bible several times, as a, just not for the sake of profession as a pastor, but just as a Christian. And so I can hearken back to stories. I can hearken back to the narrative. I can hearken back to the biblical narrative and what it says in there. But how can we do that if we don't even know what the story is? How can we do that if we're not familiar? And that's what the Covenant Bible Experience is about. The Covenant Bible Experience is going to start 
uh, next Sunday, uh, but we're going to not be here. So don't come here. Don't, don't come back here next Sunday. Nobody's going to be here. We're going to be at the retreat, and we're going to start the Covenant Bible Experience, um, the first group study next weekend. Actually, the actual Bible reading begins tomorrow. Um, and, you know, Jan, I'm going to turn it over to you to just talk about what the CBE is. Okay, now, before we roll the clip, I'm going to invite uh, a big round of applause for all of our presenters. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.